from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 26 and read down to chapter 16, verse 15 in just a minute. And the title of the message is, It's Better for You. And as I was writing that, uh, y'all know that Chip was sick last week, and it, it just kind of made me think about medicine, right? How many times have you been given a medicine and, and it's awful, <laughs> right? It tastes bad, or it makes you feel bad, or you have to just keep taking it. And the doctor and our family members will just look at you and go, well, it, it's, it's better for you if you take the medicine, and you're like, well, I don't, I don't want to take, I don't want to take it. It tastes awful, but it's better for you if you take it because you know that after you take it, you'll get better, you'll feel better, you'll be healthy again, and things can continue as normal. It's better for you. Sometimes things that are difficult to do are better for you. When we come to John 16. Jesus is, if you'll allow the baseball analogy, going to throw his disciples a curveball because he's going to tell them that it's better for them that he leaves than if he stays. And that doesn't make sense. They've been with him for these past three years. They've walked beside him. They've seen the signs. They've seen the miracles. They've sat at his feet for the teaching. They've seen him say, look, you, you've seen in the Old Testament where we, we went to this festival, and this is why you do it, and, and I am the embodiment of that festival. You have seen the Passover, but I am the actual Passover lamb. And, and even though you've been with me, and I've been with you, and we're walking together, and, and, and we're we're going through your life together and I'm pointing you in the direction she should go. It's going to be better for you that I'm not here anymore. And you can imagine in that moment that the disciples are really confused about what is going on. And in fact, you can take that statement and transport it to us today and go, well, wouldn't it be better if Jesus was here with us? Well, no, because he tells us in his word that it is better for us that he goes away. So this morning, let's begin in verse 26 of chapter 15 and make our way down to verse 15 to 16 to see why it is better. This is Jesus speaking. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning." I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. 
concerning judgment because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. But you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So this morning, as we think through why it is better for us, I want you to notice just three truths about why it is better that Jesus leaves and He sends the Holy Spirit. And the first one is this. We need the Holy Spirit to encourage us. We need the Holy Spirit to encourage us. You read this passage uh, of Scripture, and I wanted to go back up to verse 26 because we got the teaching of the Holy Spirit there, and then the teaching of the Holy Spirit again, beginning in verse 4. Jesus is talking to them in verse 4, and it, it almost sounds like He's fussing at them, doesn't it? Right? He looks at them and says, look, in the past, you know, I was with you. You've asked me, where are you going? What are you doing? You've asked me all these questions. And now all of a sudden, uh, you know, when I'm about to leave, when I'm about to go to the cross, when my glorification is about to be complete, none of you are asking me where I'm going now. It's like you don't really care. But because, and, and, and he kind of keeps fussing out, right? He says, and, and because of this, look, now, now, now you're sorry. Now you're sorrowful. You're, you're sad. I mean, it, it really does sound like Jesus is almost looking at him and saying, hey, buck up, little camper, right? You know, you know you, you've, you've been in those situations where, where you're sorry and you, you're just not feeling good and you just you want to do something that, that just makes you feel a little bit better, right? Last night, I looked at Atlanta after dinner and I was like, come on, let's, let's go. She goes, where? I said, just get in the car, let's go. She goes, where are we going? I said, we're going to Dario. She said, why? I said, I'm sad and I'm on a Sunday. <laughs> And, and, and I did, and we did, and I think I ate three quarters. But anyway, you know, sometimes you're sad. You've got, that, you've, you've got an outlet there. You, you want to do something to make you happy, or you've got that one person that comes and looks at you and says, just, hey, just, it's all right, just, just be happy. It sounds like this is what Jesus is saying to them, right? Just, just be happy. But that's not quite what is going on. He's not, he's mildly correcting them, but he's correcting them because their focus is wrong. They can't imagine life without Jesus. And they're focusing on what their life is going to be without him around instead of focusing on what their life will be like after he is gone. They're not focusing on why he has to go to the cross, right? And at the same time, we kind of sympathize with them, right? We touched on this a few weeks back. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus was here, right? Because if Jesus was here and something happens in the world and Jesus speaks, since he is God, he speaks authoritatively, and we know what he feels about it. And we could go, well, Jesus just said, wouldn't it be better if he was here? And, and the answer is no. Because he tells us it's better that he is not here because he will send the Holy Spirit. And he does it in really strong language. Look at how he states this. Verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. And listen to what he says. If I do not go away, the Helper will not come. 
that's, that's strong language. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit is not coming. It is better for you that I go away. It's better for us today that Jesus goes to the cross because in going to the cross, one, He completes our salvation, but two, in His glorification, sends the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit is with us right now. It's even better for us not that we would be with Jesus at that time, right? Because we've all made that statement. Well, if I was one of the disciples and I was with Jesus, then I would have understood. Again, we've transported ourselves back into the New Testament, put us beside Jesus, and we said, I'm going to do it right. And Jesus is saying, look, it's better that I go. It's better for us to be right here right now with the Holy Spirit than to be back with Jesus 2,000 years ago. And, And I know it's kind of... Weird to say that, right? Because we want to see Jesus, right? Our hope is that we see Jesus. But if he was here now, think about what that means. When Jesus was here physically on earth, fully man and fully God, he, he limited his eternal presence to a specific location, right? He wasn't in Jerusalem at the same time that he was in Cana. So let's let's... Just put it this way. If Jesus was here this morning and Jesus was preaching, the sermon would be perfect and you'd get out on time, but he wouldn't be anywhere else. We might have a larger crowd. I don't know. But he, but do you see what I'm saying? If he is here right now, he's not somewhere else. And if Roger and Julie leave this morning and Jesus goes with them to eat lunch, then Jesus is with them and He's not with anybody else. So Jesus says, it is better for me to go because when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Helper. And in doing that, right, Jesus' crucifixion on the cross and His ascension to heaven is the trigger that fulfills Him sending the Holy Spirit and fulfills the prophecy found in Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. Right? It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you realize what Ezekiel is prophesying and what Jesus is saying? It is better for us to have God within us than to have God beside us. As awesome as it would be to have Jesus beside us, Jesus is telling us it's better that God be in you. That God dwells within me, dwells within you. Now, when Roger and Julie leave, God is with them and goes with them. And then when I leave, God is with me and in me. And when I leave, goes with me and each and every one of you. And that brings us great encouragement. Because we don't need to now seek out Jesus and be where He is physically so that we can be with God and be led by God and be taught by God. God is within us each and every moment of our lives. And I was writing this down, and, and I just, 
this, this, this thought just crossed my mind, and I hope the thought comes out correctly. I love praying for y'all. I, I pray for y'all daily. I have a prayer list that I go through, pray for our church. And many times y'all come up and say, hey, Gary, will you pray for me? And, and the answer is always yes, I will. And it just, you know, I, I think I've said this before. I don't have special access to God. Right? I, I, I don't have a red phone on my desk that I pick it up and God picks up the other end. And it's because each and every one of us has that same access. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And that's encouraging. That's encouraging. That in the moments that you need God the most, He is there with you and in you, and you can pray and speak to Him, and the Holy Spirit empowers you to do that. It's a great encouragement for us. But secondly, we need the Holy Spirit to precede us. We need the Holy Spirit to precede us. A really important switch happens in verse 8. And the switch is this. Look at what it says. He says, And when He comes, He will convict the world. And there's the switch. The switch occurs from the Holy Spirit in believers to the Holy Spirit working in the world. This is the only place in Scripture where we read that the Holy Spirit is said to work in the world. And you remember who the world is, right? We keep coming back to this in John's context, that the world are those who are just opposed to and in rebellion to God. right? It, it, there, there is no between, right? You, you keep hearing in all types of conversations, where it's political, theological, or philosophical, you, feel, you hear people talk about trying to find the third way, where you have a, a truth over here and something over here, and you're trying to find a third way to, to navigate those two extremes. And, and when it comes to our relationship with God, there is no third way. You are either in rebellion to Him, or you are saved through Jesus Christ. There is no third way. And so the Holy Spirit then is, is going into the world to work in one specific way, yet in three different areas. It says the Holy Spirit is going to go into the world to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when we read that, ver that word in verse 8 where it says convict, in our minds we go to a courtroom setting, right? And we've kind of what we've done is this, just because this works, you know, this would be uh, where the judge sits, this would be his desk and everything. And over here would maybe be the juror box. And, and we, we put the world over here in the juror box. And then we put the Holy Spirit over here in the prosecuting attorney. And you can see, like, we've watched Matlock or Perry Mason or Law and Order or whatever, the newest. I'm really old to have mentioned those first two shows. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the newest courtroom drama is, right? But we have this image of the Holy Spirit over here, the world over there, and you can almost see the Holy Spirit, you know, just hurling accusations at the world, right? I mean, that's kind of our, our mind, and, and that's a very dramatic, and in some cases, it, we might have it a very angry scene, right? We've seen those prosecutors, you know, just hammering the witnesses, and that's not quite correct. It's not wrong, but it's not quite correct. And to understand what's going on, we need to turn over to Ephesians 11 and then Revelation 3. Ephesians 11 
excuse me, Ephesians 5, verse 11, through verse 13. I'm going to read those two verses, and I want you to see if you notice one word that is mentioned twice. It says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Did you, did you catch a key word that was mentioned twice in there? Did you catch the word exposed? The word exposed was used. All right, Revelation chapter 3. All right, Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. This is the church of Laodicea. And he is speaking, Jesus is speaking, and verse 19 says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So when you read that in Revelation 3, 19, you see the word uh, reprove, right? The reason I bring that up, the word convict in John, the word expose in Ephesians, and the word reprove in Revelation. They're all the same word, right? You remember how we, we've talked before about the Hebrew word hesed that we transfer uh, uh, loving kindness, steadfast love. It, it, it's, it's a broad and beautiful word that has that, that we can't adequately say this is a one-to-one -one translation. Sort of the same here. And the reason that, that this is important is, is, is this. It's not that the Holy Spirit is over here prosecuting the world like we think in a courtroom where the prosecutor just wants this person to be guilty and to be punished, right? I mean, that, that's what it is. Prosecuting an attorney, you're guilty, and we want you to spend, you know, next 20 years in jail. We don't really care if you repent. We don't care if you change. We want you punished for what you are doing. When the Holy Spirit is convicting the world, there is a redemptive message to it. Yes, the world is guilty, but in bringing about the, the guilt and convicting of the sin, the righteousness, and the, and the judgment, is so that the world will repent. And you see this in, in John's logic. Right as, as he goes through and says he could convict the world in the areas of sin, righteousness, and judgment, think about it. This, this is the logic, right? Sin means to miss the mark. So it's the charge for which you're indicted. When you think about righteousness, righteousness is the standard. The standard that you have not conformed to. And the judgment is the why behind the verdict. You missed the mark. You didn't conform to the standard, therefore you are judged. And where for us, if we want to use a speed limit analogy, we, we, we missed the mark by not driving 55. We got a ticket because we didn't conform to the standard, and the judgment is you're guilty, pay the fine. When the Holy Spirit comes and convicts and works in the world, it is through those same three areas, but it is so that they can see that they stand under judgment and repent. It's to call them to repentance. And so John says, look, the Holy Spirit has come. And He's going to convict the world of sin. He says specifically, because they do not believe in Me. 
What is the purpose of the book of John? If you had to pick a chapter in a Bible verse that would describe the purpose of the book of John, what would you pick? Would you pick John chapter 20, verse 30, where Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Would y'all pick that chapter and verse? I know that you would, because you've been told to repeatedly. Right? But that's, that's the whole point, that you may have life in His name. The world will not believe. And it's not that they do not possess the facts to believe. It is that it is a willful disobedience and refusal to believe. And then because they won't believe, they're living their life missing the mark and living in sin, not living and doing what they are supposed to be. And they're walking in darkness. And in their unbelief, what's really amazing is they don't even know that they're walking in darkness. But despite that, the Holy Spirit comes as a convicting agent so that people can recognize that they're in sin. They need to turn to Jesus, believe, and have life. But these days, He's going to convict them in righteousness. And He says, very specifically, because I go to the Father. Now, an interesting observation about the righteousness in the world is it thinks it's righteous. The world advocates for laws that transgress God's laws and their new law. They say, this is the righteous law. This is right, and God's law is unrighteous. But do you remember what Isaiah said about humanity's righteousness? Right? In Isaiah, he, he writes that our human righteousness is it's, it's like filthy rags. And, and that is... There's no easy way to put this. That is an incredibly graphic term. And, and it has to do with garments that women use during menstruation, which would then make them unclean. I mean, it, it's incredibly graphic. And Isaiah says, that's your righteousness. That's what the world's righteousness is. But they're not. <laughs> they're, they're unrighteous. The leaders of the day thought they were righteous, but they were unrighteous. And so Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is going to come and is going to convict the world of their righteousness because their system of, of righteousness is so corrupt that they don't believe that Jesus has been sent by God. And they're actually going to think that the cross is proof that He is unrighteous. When in actually, it's quite the reverse. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, going back to the Father who sent Him, proves that He is righteous because the Father would not welcome anyone who is unrighteous into His presence. And so the Holy Spirit is going to work in that. But then the Holy Spirit is going to, to convict them of judgment. It says, because the world has been judged. Right? The crucifixion, they think, is the world's hour. Jesus pointed to this earlier and saying that, that again, is past judgment on Jesus. Because right? they know from Deuteronomy 21, 22, if a man's committed a crime and he, he's punished by death and you hang him on his tree, right? you can't leave his body up. But anybody who has been hung on a tree, that man is cursed by God. And not only that, if you leave him up, he is going to defile the land. 
And so they're going to look at Jesus up on that cross and go, hey, this is God's judgment on Jesus. And because he is on a tree, he is, he is being cursed from God. And when actually, again, what is happening, it is man that is being judged, not Jesus. Again, a reversal. Because the cross does not pass judgment on Jesus. The cross passes judgment on the world. Because the cross passes judgment on the rule of the world, Satan, who has already been judged. Right? You read in verse 7, we're talking about it, where Jesus says, it is to your advantage. It's this very similar wording to when Caiaphas says, it is better for one man to die than for the nation. Because if he dies, he's going to spare us God's judgment, spare us Rome's judgment. But that's not what happened. When Jesus dies, it's better, and it actually places them under judgment instead of removing them from judgment. Because as Jesus said earlier, now the judgment has come. The, the ruler of this world has been cast out. So Satan has been judged. And so is the world who follows him. So what in the world then does this have to do with the point of the Holy Spirit precedes us? Well, it precedes us because the Holy Spirit goes before us preparing the way for the church to come and do the work we're called to do. Right? That's, that's the mission of the church, right? Go and make disciples. And we go and make disciples as accomplished through our voice, speaking to the world that is in the position that they are in. Hey, you are in your sin. You are not righteous. You stand judged. We're not doing that based on what we think. We're doing that based on what we know through God's Word. And through this right here, John or, or, and Jesus, as he is speaking, is declaring the spiritual and moral bankruptcy of the world. And at the same time, calling them to repent. Isn't that what the church is supposed to do? And we thank the Holy Spirit for going before us, for preceding us, and working in the people's lives, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our friends, in the lives of unbelievers, so that when we go and we preach the gospel, they can hear it. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. The problem becomes, if we want to think about, about you know, the church body in general is when the church looks too much like the world. When we become so comfortable and adapted to what is going on in the world, we can't see the moral and spiritual bankruptcy because we look just like the world. Instead, when the world looks at the church and when the world looks at Red Bank, to see a, a, a body of believers not influenced by the world, but rather through our words, our thoughts, and our deeds, we stand diametrically opposite the world and offering them the same hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit has preceded us and spoken to them so that we just come behind and do our job, do the mission that we're called to do, and we see people turn and repent. But again, it's not us. It's the Holy Spirit going before us. And we need Him, and it's better for us because it allows us to do the mission that we've been called to do. But then lastly, it's the Holy Spirit guides us. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us. Right? We've all been on tours where we've had tour guides. And the tour guides are, are provide information that you might not know. 
Right? When we were in Charleston a couple weeks ago, we went down to Charleston Tea Garden. Anybody ever been to Charleston Tea Garden? It's the only tea garden in the U.S. It's the only place in the U.S. that grows, grows tea. And it, it's, it's really interesting if you ever get down there, take a tour. It, it, it's worth it. But I could walk around the garden and I could look and I could go, that's a tea plant. And uh, that'll eventually end up in a tea bag and I'll have tea. That, that's all I would know. Right? It's, it's our tour guide who tells us how it works. Right? I didn't know. And when you look at tea, they, they look like hedges. I'm going to pick on Roger and Julie again. When you go down and, and you, you drive past their house and you see their row of hedges, that's kind of like how the tea plants look. Right? But I didn't know this. If you plant a tea plant, and, and they live 50, 60, 70 years, they live a really long time. If one of the tea plants dies, you don't dig it up. You leave it. Because their root system is so intertwined, if you were to dig up that one plant, you would kill the whole row. See, I wouldn't know that unless the tour guide told me that. Right? I'd be like, hey, you got a shovel? I'll get rid of that plant for you. We need a guide to help us understand. And the Holy Spirit is our guide as we go through life and as we study His Word. Right? Our ongoing growth, our sanctification is progressive. You better not be the believer now... Let me get this right. You better not be in the same place as a believer now as you were when you came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. You better have grown in that time period, right? It, it, it is progressive. And the reason it's progressive is we get a glimpse of it, right? What does Jesus say to the disciples? He says, I didn't tell you all these things right now because you could not bear it. Right? You, you couldn't bear it. There are some things in our Christian walk that we can't bear at that particular point that we need to bear later, right? We just, it has to become progressive. I can't imagine if after the day that I was baptized that the Holy Spirit said to me, hey, Gary, let me outline the next 30 years of your life for you and what's going to happen in your Christian walk. I mean, I couldn't bear that. In good heavens, I know Atlanta couldn't. She absolutely would have married a doctor from Duke. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't do that. But throughout my life, the Holy Spirit has kind of led me from here to here to here to here to here to here. And the Holy Spirit guides you in your life too. He leads you from here to here to here to here to here. As you can bear things, He leads you and guides you to do that. And the same is how He unfolds Scripture to us. Right? He unfolds new truth about Scripture to us. And I need to speak carefully here, and you need to listen carefully. Because the truth that the Holy Spirit is revealing is not new truth. Right? I've warned you and I told you. I can't stand when pastors get up and say, The Lord spoke to me. No, the Lord did not speak to you. Because in that moment, that sentence makes it what you're about to say authoritative and perfect. That's not true. Just say, I studied and I learned. Right? So it's not that we are being revealed new truth, but what is happening again in our progressive sanctification is we're learning new things that are contained in Scripture that has always been true. Like that time that you've read a Bible verse that you've read 17 times before and you, can't, you focus in on one word and it goes, wow, I understand that now. 
Why didn't you understand it before? Because we're being led. It, it's, it's progressive. You don't know all about Scripture now than you, or as soon as you become a Christian. It's not like just, just all downloaded into us. He guides us into all truth, and He is guiding you into all truth. He says He's doing it not on His authority on what He has heard, but He is doing it on what He has heard the Father say. So again, He's guiding us to all truth that is contained within His Word. Every way the Spirit will lead you and guide you into truth is bounded by Scripture. If it is not, that is not the Holy Spirit leading you. He is not going to lead you to do something contrary to God's Word. He just absolutely will not. And part of His guiding, again, where we have to be careful, look at what He says. He says that I'm going to declare to you in the end of verse 13, things that are to come. (laughs) And boy, has that been abused, right? Because when we hear of things that are to come, we immediately think of His return, and we think about the book of Revelation. After all, John did write the book of Revelation. And there is a part of that that is true. But the broader part of that is not that it is going to reveal to us exactly how the end times is working. That is not what he's talking about. But after Jesus leaves, the Holy Spirit is going to continue to work in the disciples' lives and continue to lead them into new truth that they'll need the year after Jesus is gone and the five years after Jesus is gone and the 30 years after Jesus is gone. And what it really is pointing to and what we really need to understand is this is directing us to the sufficiency of Scripture for life no matter how far removed we are from Jesus. That everything that occurs in our lives, Scripture is sufficient for. Think about all the new challenges that has occurred in in 2,000 years, right? Think about artificial intelligence, right? Chatbot, GPT, and all that's been in the news for the past, you know, four or five months. You know what you can't find in Scripture? Any section in Scripture that has anything to do with artificial intelligence. You can't, it, trust me, it's not there. I know somebody will probably find it and say, well, this is what, no, that's not what it means. But as we deal with this, and we navigate artificial intelligence, and what does that mean? We can go to Scripture who will guide us and reveal to us how to think about it and how to interact with it and what to say about it. Because Scripture is sufficient. It leads us in new ways to understand an old truth to deal with the issues that we face today in the world. It also reveals to us new ways to engage our mission. How are we going to reach people for Christ? How are we going to get the gospel out? What are we going to do in our community that the people hear the gospel in a culturally relevant way here, but would be very different in, say, New York? How are we going to do that? Again, it's new, but it's not new in that it has never been heard before. It is new, bounded by the old eternal truth of Scripture. But it will lead us and guide us to do that so that we can complete our mission. The Holy Spirit just guides us. And we need Him to guide us in our lives each and every day. And this is why Jesus says it is better that He goes away because Jesus, instead of just guiding me, because let's be honest, if if He was here and, and He was guiding me, I wouldn't share and neither would you. But now the Holy Spirit can guide each and every one of us, each and every minute, each and every second of 
our day. That's why it is better. And while this list is not exhaustive, just think about all the things that we cannot do without the Holy Spirit. We couldn't face the hatred and the persecution of the world that Jesus spoke about. We, we couldn't do that. We, we couldn't persevere in our Christian life. We could not love one another as we have been instructed to. We cannot obey Jesus' commands. We cannot remain in the vine. We cannot speak to unbelieving family and friends about the need of salvation. We cannot speak to the world concerning sin. We cannot know how to engage biblically with new issues that constantly come up. We would not know how to engage our community with gospel in relevant ways. And there's so much more that we would not be able to do if we did not have the Holy Spirit with us. That's why it is better for us that Jesus says that He will go away and He will send the Helper to us, who will help us and guide us and lead us how to navigate our Christian life. And as we do that, right, because he says here at the very end that the Holy Spirit will glorify me and glorify the Father. As we do that, as we live out a Spirit-filled life, our life through that is going to bring glory to Jesus. It's going to bring glory to God, and it's going to display to the world a transformed life that can only happen through Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, who made it a way for us to be saved, and in doing so, returns to the Father so that He can send the Holy Spirit to empower us to live each and every day in the power of the gospel. That is why Jesus says it is better for Him to go away. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website, at www.redbankmbc.com If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.